0: Don't,
1: um, I'm just going to close
0: the door so you can sure. go ahead and talk. <laughs> you can, right. Did you have another question or, or comment? Well,
2: actually, my question was, who recognizes early Alzheimer's first? Is it the patient or the caregiver? Um, <laughs>
0: that's
2: a really good question.
0: Often, the individual will Will recognize themselves I wonder why that keeps that they have deficits, but they don't often talk about right,
2: it right yeah
0: um, and so the person who usually is the one to bring it to people's attention is usually the spouse, okay. and if there's not and sometimes not the spouse, sometimes it's an it's an adult child right. um, but what what's very common is for in the very early stages. Um, even before a diagnosis for the person that's experiencing their deficits or their memory loss to withdraw, to start to withdraw. And we don't see that as a symptom because we we have a lot of stories or we can adapt to that easily. We can make sense of that behavior easily. Um, but then after there's more symptoms and there's a diagnosis and, and I'll be doing education with the family and I'll say, you know, withdrawal from conversation and activities is very common early on. They, uh, m- most people go, oh,
3: yes, I saw that.
0: So, uh, you know, there's a sense that the person that has the memory loss is it, it knows early on mm-hmm. and, and maybe experiencing that and withdrawing, but they don't often want to talk about it. Some people do, but uh, I find in my experiences that most don't want to talk about it. Are they in denial? You could call it denial. You know, um, because you'll say,
4: you know, are you okay? I'm, did you remember that? No, I'm fine.
0: Yeah. So, you know, um, it's a form of denial, but clinically, like the, the people that work with Alzheimer's and dementia, we really consider it a lack of insight. So um, there can be some denial early on, where they're very aware that something's going on and they just want to deny it or not deal with it. but. Um, there's also a lack of, of insight that goes along with the disease, even early on. Um, so it may appear as denial, but they, they really aren't able to grasp fully what's happening
3: okay.
0: to them. So, but I think if you get someone very early, um, it's probably more that they just don't want to talk about it because you know in the earlier in the very early stages they can still fully grasp. What's happening, and they probably just don't want to talk about it because it's so frightening, you know, well, as we my know.
2: My wife is pretty advanced in Alzheimer's.
0: Uh huh.
2: And people ask me, when did you first notice this? Mm-hmm. <coughs> and I, I can answer that. But as I look back on it, I see subtle signs much before yes. I of it the last. They're very subtle signs of little yes. changes. And yeah. Capabilities. And so, on. yeah, okay. Thank yeah, you.
0: That's, very, that's very common. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, because it starts very subtly. So it takes someone very close to them. Yeah. Well, other people won't see but it. Even at the time, I didn't
2: realize those. Right. But I can go back more years now right. and, and I can't put my finger on it because it was so subtle. As it
1: came yes. Off. Yeah, yeah.
2: And probably, yeah. I think probably people. Uh, develop it at varying rates, too. I I don't know. uh,
0: They can, yes. Yeah, it can seem to go faster or slower in some people. Mm. There are different factors. Other health factors um, will play a part. I see. Thank you. So, you're welcome. So, welcome everyone. Hi there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My name is Keston. I know some of you. I'm a psychologist and I work Um, for both the Alzheimer's Association of Massachusetts and New Hampshire, and I have an office down the hall here. And I also work for the Dartmouth Centers for Health and Aging for this center doing research, and I spoke to her a little bit about um, I'm doing some research on early, with early stage individuals in that. Um, In my other role with the association, I do programs such as this. I give consultations to individuals if they're early enough they they usually don't want to talk to me, but um, to individuals living with dementia, mainly their family members, Um, and I do education programs for both, mainly family members. My services are free, so um, families can use me as as often as they need to, and um, Caroline came in and left some brochures, I think, in the back, and there's some more up front of um, the brochure for the Aging Resource Center here and all that we're doing. I do just a very small part of what we do here. You may or may not be familiar with us, but we do a lot of different free education programs and workshops um, for the community, so check us out, and we'll have some. We're putting together our spring schedule right now, and I have More programs coming up, some for early-stage individuals, so look for that um, beyond the research programs. And we have a lot going on. So today, we're talking about Foundations of Caregiving. That's the name of the program. Um, I might want to eventually call it something else because it is Foundations of Caregiving, but it's really about mindfulness, um, about using a mind. I thought this was caregiver stress. It is, but so let me be clear that um, I'm not talking about it is about caregiver stress, but it's about um, using mindfulness in response to stress. So I'm not going to be talking about stress and analyzing stress a lot today. Um, I'm going to be talking about how to use mindfulness in response. To reduce stress. To reduce stress. And so what mindfulness is and we'll do some practices of it. So that's where it's just the Foundations of Caregiving is sort of a general name for the title that doesn't really indicate fully what it is. Um, I think they advertise that this program is two hours long but it will probably be closer to an hour Um, but you should feel, so I I hope if anyone has scheduled things around it that that doesn't interfere with that at all. Um, But feel free to talk and have a dialogue and ask questions and, and make sure that you understand everything or tell your stories or experiences that you've had. That's very welcome. Um, so maybe, since we have a small group, we'll just quickly go around the group, and if you could just say your first name and the situation just in the, that brought you here. And it, it doesn't have to be a lot. You could just say, you know, my name is Henry, and my wife is in the late stages of Alzheimer's, or whatever it is that, that brought you here. So can we start with you?
2: you know, my name is John McCall. Uh, I live at Kendall at Hanover. Mm -hmm. We moved there in uh, the spring of 2000. Uh, Two years ago in January, my wife Nina moved down to our memory care Alzheimer's unit, which we have there, Mm -hmm. which has been wonderful. And um, this spring I moved from our original apartment down to uh, our assisted living area so I could be closer to her. I have lunch with her every day and spend time with the people there. Uh, I take her for walks every day because I find everyone down there is much different, has much different needs, and mm-hmm. uh, they have a lot of activities and different people enter the different ones. Uh, she always did her own thing. She uh, was in politics and worked for ABC News. Mm-hmm. So,
3: thank you.
1: Um, <coughs> my name is Brianna,
4: and. Um, I'm basically here just to try to understand um, a few things. I will, uh, my mom's really, um, you know, sick and and, um, having a lot of problems, so I'm uh, going to be taking care of her. Um, Okay. So I'm just trying to understand a little more on a few things. Okay,
0: good. I'm glad you're here.
4: I'm Beverly. I've been... um Dealing with ons and off of memory clinic and memory issues with mm-hmm. my husband for about probably eight years, nine mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's brilliant, mm-hmm. and because he's brilliant, it's hard to understand where uh, he's at, at the level he's at. Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling Claire that. <clears throat> I think it's getting progressively worse he's he's very apprehensive, understandably. Um, I keep trying to give him as much autonomy as possible so that he doesn't feel that he's falling apart because he's quite independent. I'm his third wife mm. <laughs> and uh, too bad his second, my first wife didn't care. <laughs> 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 but here I am, uh, and I own an inn. I, uh-huh. I'm, I own an inn, <clears throat> owner innkeeper. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I've been juggling with two houses, one for him, which is not here in the area. It's about an hour and a half north. And uh, he went yesterday. I was telling Claire that his driving seems to be and his balance is really bad. Mm. Um, And he's got a lot of medical issues on top of all this. And last night I called him up there and he never put the phone back on the hook, so I got frightened because he has COPD.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: And I called the police and they had to go and they found that he didn't put the phone back on. So Mm -hmm. I'm sort of at that point where I'm not sure when I can let him go and when I have Mm -hmm. to be with him and have supervision. So it's kind of scary Yeah. for me. Where do you live? Woodstock.
0: You're in Woodstock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you might want to contact me after today. We're not going to go over those types of caregiving issues today. This is really about mindfulness and, and stress. But if you want to do a consultation with me, That'd be my, wonderful. You, you're at you in a good place to do Thank that you with so me. Much. So just contact me, email me, or call me, and we'll set up something on my schedule. And Do, do you want it. me to talk to you after the class today? Um, I won't have time after the class today but if you can um, set up a time that we can talk on the phone or that you might be convenient for you to to come up but we can also do it over the phone and we can just talk about what's happening in your life and different ways for you to understand it and respond to it.
4: Because the mindfulness, I think, is really important. Yes. Because you're really not taking care of yourself. It's a constant you know mental gymnastics as to what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. Right,
0: right. And this this course, like as I said, this this course was designed to be the introductory course to a series that actually I run in June, every June here. Mm -hmm. Um, And the series gives more of those coping skills, like when do you make this decision and how do I understand this symptom and, and all of that. Um, so I know that today, when I get a group like this, there's always other <laughs> conversations sure. we could be having. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk after. Thank, Thank you
1: for <laughs> you. Yeah, Claire. I'm Claire. My husband Dudley was diagnosed by Dr. Well, as diagnosed, I say I don't have anything in writing, but I need, I need that soon. Um, has been seeing Dr. Santuli and said, "Yes, you do have
0: mm-hmm.
1: dementia." Or, I like to say memory issues, but now I would say Alzheimer's for four years, mm-hmm. four years ago this month, almost this week, this week exactly. As <laughs> a yeah. matter of fact, and uh, we're still, we still have a good relationship. Dudley maintains four miles of mountain trail. Um, but if you, say, go to the post office, he'll say, I don't know where the post office is. Mm-hmm. And, we, you know, we're going to someone's house tonight for dinner. Who are Brian and Cindy? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of it is, is harmless stuff like that that I used to get. I was—I came to this because I was in such a bad place, anxiety-wise myself. I mean, my body was shaking and mm-hmm. my stomach was clenching, but I am taking diazepam mm-hmm. and uh, I am getting more respite care. And I'm—I don't know. I've just gotten into a different place in this whole thing. Hmm. With a, uh, i I—I'm maturing in it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I'm, my stomach isn't clenching. And I mean, I won't say I don't get anxious. But right. I'm taking vitamin D, because as my doctor said stress reduces your immune system, so mm-hmm. it's very mm-hmm. important that you mm-hmm. do what you can to boost your immune system. But it's—it's it's my. At least better off than I am, hmm. awesome. and I'm a lot better than I was in September. Good. I mean, you know, and I, I, I went on a trip to England, and his son came, and his son came,
3: and so
0: forth.
3: Good. Thank you. Uh, I'm Sandy, and uh, I think I think my wife was diagnosed four or five years ago, but it isn't moving that rapidly. Or, uh, I'm in the process now of um, trying to get somebody in to clean the house mm-hmm. and uh, trying to tie up uh, or get somebody as a caretaker uh, or caregiver, if you will, that uh, uh, that my wife can relate to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm, I'm just in that thing. I've got some
0: Have you, I know you've been up here a few times, So have have you been to our legal and financial
3: some uh, time ago? I have called well. Yeah, okay. Oh good, okay. He set me up about three or four years ago. Good,
0: good, okay, great. Great. So you may find that that her function level gets a little bit better um, once you bring people in and she gets more engaged? Uh, On a regular level, that can sometimes Mm -hmm. um, help people with dementia do a little bit better if Mm -hmm. if they stay, you know, are more active and and engaged. Um, So you might find that when you you bring people, in, I'm glad you found some people.
3: Yeah, well, that's what we're working on now.
0: Good. That's where we are. Okay. Okay. So, um, as I said, today is about foundations of caregiving, and and I'm primarily going to go over. Uh, the <coughs> mindfulness discipline or practice, um, what it is, and we're going to actually practice it. We're going to have a few um, practices of it, but first I want to talk for a few moments about what self-care <coughs> is. Um, so self-care in, in today's talk and self-care in, in, in this context is it's really just as simple as being friendly to yourself. Okay. So I'm not going to be asking you to implement a lot, of <laughs> a lot of new burdens for you to have to take care of in your life about taking care of yourself. Sometimes that can be, um, create stress for people to say, now you have to start being you know taking care of yourself and all of this. Sometimes people feel as though they have an, uh, more activities or tasks to, to take on. So this is really about, um, mindfulness is really about developing a certain relationship with yourself and your feelings and particularly your, say your more negative or, or stressful or overwhelming feelings and just first becoming aware of them and how they impact you and how you respond to them and then slowly starting to come into a different relationship with them. So today isn't about the aspects of caregiving and responding to stress such as you know Exercise is great and, and having a good social life and having friends, like you said, that's very important, having you know, people to talk to, going to a support group. Um, eating well, staying healthy, making sure you're still engaged in tasks that are important to you. These are all important parts of caregiving and reducing stress. Today I'm going to be talking primarily about mindfulness, which is um, a completely more uh, private, it's more addressing how you relate to your stress inside of yourself. So rather than those aspects of dealing with stress outside of yourself like exercising or seeing friends or support group, it's more about how do you manage your stress within your own space, in, in your own experience. So that's really what we're going to be looking at today. Another principle is that your care for another person in any way, not only someone who has Alzheimer's, but our care our ability to take care of other people, the foundation of that is our ability to care for ourselves. And we hear about this, you know, we, we hear about this in different ways, but it's really true. Um, if you're not on firm ground in your own experience and feeling good or having access to positive emotions, it's very difficult to do that or try to provide that for someone else. And that's really what caring for someone else is, it's, it's sort of it's not only taking care of different tasks in their life, but even as you take care of different tasks in their life, like say the bills or their doctor's appointments or whatever it is, you're doing that with caring, it's a part of giving your energy out and your nurturing out to someone else. Well that, is, that caring that we can give out to other people comes from the well of our own self-caring. So our self-caring feeds that well that cares for ourselves and allows us to care for others. And that's really what the compassion fatigue, um, I don't know if you've heard of this term, is all about people in the, in the um, service professions, such as, as myself and the people who work here and um, doctors and nurses, compassion fatigue is something that we hear about a lot where you, you know, you're constantly giving out and caring for and doing for others and that can deplete you if you're not caring for yourself. And some of the signs of compassion fatigue are the stress that caregivers have. Anger is a big one. Um, Getting easily irritated or easily fragmented, having your mind get fragmented, you just can't hold things together, being exhausted. or finding that you're constantly seeking distractions, even medicating yourself, um, and not just say with alcohol, but you can medicate yourself with TV, <laughs> or gossip, or shopping, or just <laughs> wanting to do something else, want your, wanting your mind to be somewhere else. So compassion fatigue is a real syndrome, and, and that type of uh, being under that kind of stress and fatigue for extended periods of time can have an impact on your own health. And that's, that's actually been, um, is being demonstrated more and more in research, is the health concerns of long-term caregivers, um, not only for Alzheimer's or dementia, but for a lot of different chronic conditions. That's a real factor to think about. So that's what we think of when we're, when we're talking about self-care, we're talking about, um, today we're talking about learning to come into a friendly relationship with yourself and your Sense of burden or your sense of responsibility or any negative feelings that you have in response to caregiving or really to anything. And that's what mindfulness is, and I'll go over that a little bit more. Um, I do want to say that sometimes, for some people, a resistance to just stopping and focusing on your own feelings, which is is what mindfulness asks you to do, um, a resistance to that can be that if you do stop, and really just start to reflect or allow in all of the different feelings that you have, that you'll drown in them, that that you'll, you'll be overwhelmed with them, that sometimes um, we have different ways to cope with stress. So the, you know, shopping or the, <laughs> um, you know, all the different things that we do, or the anger, the irritation, those aren't necessarily, um, you know, those are coping techniques, they're, they're ways to deal Um, with an overwhelm of negative feelings so not all coping techniques are bad or need to be gotten rid of it's just you want to notice when a coping technique the the way that you cope with something you want to notice when it's crossed a line and is now not contributing to you but is is starting to be destructive or take away from you so with bringing in mindfulness um, I'm just trying to add or wanting to add for you one more tool, one more personal resource you could use. It, it shouldn't, you shouldn't think of it that you should only do mindfulness or that that should replace any other coping techniques that you have. It shouldn't. It should be one more that you have. And mindfulness, the, the, the whole um, idea behind mindfulness is that you, you do allow in, you, you, it's a lot about allowing whatever experience you have you know, whether that be negative or positive or whatever. And primarily we're, we're focused <coughs> on, on negative. But that you do allow that, and it and it will hopefully impart to you or teach to you a different way of of dealing with your negative emotions, which is not to push them away, but to be able to manage working with them head on. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a new way to manage negative feelings. Uh-huh. Is there...
4: Is is avoidance for yourself get into play on that? For example, avoid um, by thinking it must be you, it's not them, that they're going through this, number one. And number two, avoidance to become socially involved or doing things you used to do. Mm -hmm. And it, it probably fits into that compassion fatigue, where you just don't have that. Because of all the stuff that's going on, right. and sometimes you don't even realize because you're so used to dealing with stress all of your life mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. that you think you're going to be able to overcome this. Right, right. So you'll start to avoid thinking that this is a problem and, right. and overlook it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you were saying that the the client or the patient or the person that the loving person uh, that you're taking care of. Um, sometimes it's so convincing because they're convinced nothing's wrong,
1: mm-hmm. They you think
4: you're a little cuckoo.
1: hmm
4: So then you start taking it on yourself, right? And thinking, interesting,
0: yeah.
4: It's really not there. It must be you because I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Yeah, and and I know it's not, right, right. But you want to want to believe that you want to believe it, so that it doesn't take put you under so much stress.
0: Right, right. Um, Yeah, that's very. That's pretty deep. Yeah, that's very reflective and thoughtful. (laughs) Well, that's that's good. You you'll be good at mindfulness.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a mediator. (laughs) That's why I studied mindfulness. Yeah, that's very reflective.
0: So. Um yes there's all different ways that we respond to and and manage stress or negative feelings, and those are some of the more subtle ones that are just on the the inside but um I thought it was interesting you you pointed out the avoiding social activities for yourself you know we we know when we were talking about earlier that people with dementia um, particularly early on that withdrawal is a very yes. common symptom, but it's also for caregivers where you just sometimes feel so overwhelmed, it's like, I just don't have the energy to go out that. Well, it's more that. that
4: it's not, it, it, the energy, that's absolutely the truth. But on the other hand, when they withdraw, mm-hmm. you think you're not being a good partner oh. because you're not getting engaged because they don't want to. Right. I mean, it sounds like a codependent, but that's not what it is.
0: I think it's a very, I think... I think that's a very common way for people to feel because it's not
4: like me, but i have yeah. seeing this more and more you're in the last that few years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not meeting it. I mean, of course, I meet people all the time as an innkeeper, right.
2: right? But, but so, isn't when social wor- world changing, I mean, yeah. basically, you're entering social relationships as a single person. Yes, when you get to the and that's stages. so
4: true. So, of course, you've been yeah. together for a long, long time. I,
2: yeah. you know.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's true, the whole nature of it, so it's it's being social in a whole new way as well.
2: Just as uh, widowers have to make an accommodation to to, to a different social milieu, really.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I have realized with friends that nobody's ever paid attention to. Churches don't pay attention to. When you have lost your partner. Mm -hmm. as you have because she's living separately from you, it's the same as a death. You've lost your partner and yet nobody recognizes that or pays any attention. When someone dies, there's all this big hullabaloo and we're so sorry and and you get all kinds of support, but when you finally have to move your partner into a, a caregiving unit or it becomes that you cannot be social together.
2: Mm-hmm. We don't
1: socially. We don't have a way of There's not a paying attention around. to that. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like birth or death or marriage. It's yeah. a, it's a big thing.
0: I agree.
1: And yeah. I I
0: wish sometime we become aware of that. So you've you've marched beautifully right into the next <laughs> the next <laughs> bullet point here. I couldn't have asked for a, a more beautiful introduction to that, which is something that. Um, is, is recognizing the level of ambiguity and loss in Alzheimer's that's unique and that there's not a public conversation around or a language around or we don't talk about it because we don't know how to talk about it, nobody's talking about it. Um, so you just articulated it and it's something that um, in the years that I've been working with families that are living with Alzheimer's I've noticed and I've started to try and put language around and um, ambiguity is a, is a big word. Is the, to, to, for this that um, living with Alzheimer's in someone you love has a great deal of ambiguity in it and in all the stages so in the beginning stage there's often a lot of ambiguity about where are they okay because their symptoms fluctuate so much they seem oh. to be doing okay and then they're not doing okay and mm-hmm. is it just you or and then they get upset if you're making trying to adapt to or trying to figure out what's wrong they get upset you know, that you're making a big deal out of it, and you think, oh, I'm making a big deal out of it, I need to relax, and then a crisis happens, and you realize, oh no, there's something, there's something wrong, you know, and you realize that they have good days and bad days, and,
4: well, and anger, too, mm-hmm. sets in, yeah. it seems, to, yeah. these folks that are,
0: because
4: yeah. they're frightened, and then they get yes. angry, yes. at and least that's what I've experienced,
0: absolutely,
4: and a lot well, of so the anger gets taken out on you, like you don't know what you're talking about.
0: And yet, there's, an, and you know why it. you're doing what you're doing, <laughs> and you know why they have the anger, but so there's no you conversation start, anymore. For you're it. like
4: a squirrel in the road, you don't, and the car's coming, and you have no idea which way to go. Right.
0: And you can't, you're losing the ability to have that conversation with the person, mm-hmm. and that's ambiguous. How do you talk about How do you tell your friends that, that, yeah, he, he seems the same, he's much the same in, in many ways, but I can no longer have the same level of conversation? with this person as I used to, that's very (coughs) ambiguous and then as you get into later (coughs) stages where it's clear that your spouse, you know if you had to move your spouse or something like that, it's clear that they have Alzheimer's disease and people know that but no one is paying attention to the fact that you've suffered this great loss that's very much like a death emotionally and psychologically, there's no language around that, there's no inclusion of that, It's, it's as though it didn't happen until there's a physical death. And then it's then then we have a public conversation for it. But it can be years that someone, and it is years. <laughs> no, it can be years. It's most often years that someone is in that state of ambiguity before there's that finality, that final loss. And these losses that happen before that are just as significant, but there's not public conversation around it. Yeah, that that can add to the. Stress of the caregiving. So you have all of this, just the physical, financial, legal caretaking task, but then you have this very significant yet ambiguous change in one of the most important relationships of your life.
2: It yeah. seems and to me that at a certain stage, uh, well, that probably from the beginning, people are gradually moving into an alternate reality. Mm. They retain some of the things, many things they don't retain but there's still a recognition, even though it may not be able to be vocalized very well, of where my life has been, what Mm -hmm. I've done, what I've enjoyed. And uh, as I say, my wife is in our our Whittier unit, Mm -hmm. and the people down there are very good. And I find that the people down there, I don't know if they're self-selected or just how it works out, but the characteristics that they exhibit are unlimited patience, Mm -hmm. love, caring, and tenderness. And uh, those things are most important, and I think they're important in us as caregivers, too. Unlimited patience is sometimes difficult, but I find you you never argue, you never criticize, you agree, you understand, you love, and uh, that's it. uh,
0: It is, it is. I'm happy to hear that you have that regard for Whittier. I've heard very good oh, things yeah, about it's them. And very, it is so important to find a good place that um, that it's because it's for both of you. That place, mm-hmm. wh- wherever they end up living out their lives, it's yeah. really got to be chosen from both of you, and making mm-hmm. sure that you you feel good with this too. And that's why it's also important to bring help in before that day. Um, mm-hmm. You know that the person has to move to bring help in, because um, you know we do love our spouses, our family members, and we do want to do our best and be patient, but it's hard if you're called on that 24-7. And Informal caregivers can often have a bigger supply of it because it's, it's not, they can love that person, but it's not their spouse or their parent. And so it, they can, that, that's an important part of supporting yourself. So bringing in that help is an important part of your own taking care of yourself. Yeah. That's, that's really a, an important point. Well,
4: you're lost to without having this
0: when someone
4: looks good. Yes. I mean, everybody thinks that I got some screws loose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because he appears to be fine. Right. Right. And he's, he efforts and socially <coughs> when anyone talks to him. And you, you again begin to feel you, you know, you're not really, it is so ambiguous. Yeah. So ambiguous. Yeah,
0: the, the, that, the <coughs> ambiguity in the relationship with the person in the disease is, is strongest in the beginning. And then yeah. the, it, there's, amb, there's ambiguity throughout it, but the ambiguity as you go on later tends to be more social outside of, of how other people are. Well, his family, his children, mm-hmm. and um,
4: they think I'm projecting yeah. because they're not with him 24 yeah. seven. So this mindfulness, do they ever give you respite? Oh God, no. They don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> so the curse of the third
0: third <laughs> <laughs> <And laughs> wife, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's
4: their dad. Doesn't mean anything.
0: Yeah, I, I've I've heard of that before. It's really that's scary. unfortunately not. You yeah. know that that's not too uncommon. Where the adult children that there will be discord within mm-hmm. the family of what's really going on. And, and yeah. um, now, This
2: seems to be fairly common, I mean, with, with all the people we have at uh, Kendall, there's sort of a living laboratory on some <laughs> of these things. And uh, one of the things is when people are transferred by the health personnel and the spouse or children, uh, someone will say, I'm surprised. Yeah, uh, how, how did that happen? What's wrong with that? Yeah, business? she doesn't look bad. Well, uh, I'm done every day and uh, I just said, I think it was the right move. We right. i go with that. Uh, and one of the other problems is when you have children that live far away, and they come riding in and have an overnight visit, and they say, oh, there's nothing wrong. Yeah. They can stay there in the apartment. Uh, that's just fine. That's my and biggest challenge right now. Oh. Yeah. And children okay. often disagree, i found, mm-hmm. on that from what I see of uh, other people. Yeah. Uh, our, our children do agree on things. But one of them has uh, had a lifelong uh, history of cancer, and she can deal with anything. Uh, the other one, I think, is sort of uh, upset by what's happening with her mother. And mm. I suppose they see it reflected what might happen to them Sure. The yeah, a lot of
0: you. I have
2: six kids, and he has
4: five.
0: So wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there's a lot of people that, wow. <clears throat> a lot of different perspectives I, I, to, to manage.
4: Because he appears to be OK.
0: In the early stages, yeah. they do.
4: And I'm like squirreling around, saying, "Oh my God, you know, what do I do with this? Nobody's giving me support." That from
0: every, you know? from every yeah. caregiver, every primary caregiver, whether it's the spouse or, or sometimes it's an adult child, where the, in the earlier stages, the people on the outside do not see what they mm-hmm. see.
4: Do they have a facade when they know there's something wrong? Be we, patient.
0: Well, covering up, we call it covering the covering up. covering up is really, really, it's really common okay. in someone yeah, with Alzheimer's. I, mean, I do work right now with some people in the early stages who don't cover up. They're, they'll talk very frankly about it, but they're unusual. We have done that from the beginning. Yeah, yeah the very that's, beginning. that's great.
1: That's so great. it's common. Because
0: actually, yes, it's very common. And that makes actually, feel like the the covering up can create a lot of stress for the individual too. I mean, it, it can be a lot of stress to, you know, so they can, you know, have a lot of stress about upcoming social events or even appointments or going out and doing things. And that's why they, I, I think, they typically withdraw, because to cover up, to have to cover up and not be afraid of your deficit showing, creates a lot of anxiety. So if we can help them to not have to cover up, if, if there can be some way to have a conversation about what's going on and making it okay, it, it can help them let go a little bit. But, you know, it's not always so easy to come to that. So, um, so that's self-care. So when we get into um, the basic principles of mindfulness, Here they are. There's just two. (laughs) And this is it. And if you don't, if you remember nothing else, you remember this, I have been successful. Um, It's really about cultivating non-judgment, not only of others, right, and of your loved one who has different behaviors and is acting in difficult ways and new ways and different ways. So it's not only non-judgment of your loved one, today i'm talking primarily about non-judgment of yourself first can you Um,
4: give an example of that of
0: non-judgment yeah when you do judge okay so may i use you sure okay what i heard in your voice so when you were talking a few minutes ago about um you you were talking about how you you know, your husband is like nothing's wrong with me and other people are like nothing's wrong with me so you start to think that something's wrong with you that's mm-hmm. a judgment something's wrong with me I'm gonna take this on okay. what's my problem what are you stupid what are you just trying to make him feel bad are you yeah you know, those nope. are all the judgments yep. that starts so. Mm-hmm. so
4: get in touch with that mindfully just
0: yeah and we'll go through that more okay. but non-judgment is is not non-judgment is about allowing something to be what it is, when it is.
2: Could you use an example or two?
0: Yeah. Uh, um, You're
2: speaking of both the caregiver and the one being cared for. Yeah so I'm talking
0: primarily today about with yourself because as we talked about a moment ago the foundation of taking care of someone else starts with taking care of how you relate to yourself. So today I'm talking about you relating to you. And non-judgment looks more, it's not about um, feeling a negative feeling and then judging yourself for it, like that's stupid, what are you, weak? You know, the, all, any of those thoughts that come up. Non-judgment is about, isn't about getting rid of that, like I don't want to think that anymore, I don't want to feel that anymore, I'm not going to talk to it. it's allowing it to be there, just noticing it. So non-judgment is allowing, it's not pushing it away because it's negative and Keston told you you shouldn't be thinking that. <laughs> it's, it's about noticing and allowing with compassion Compassion is very important. So what that might look like is you're feeling some stress. You just say maybe had a difficult situation with your loved one or someone else, and you're, you're feeling stressed out. And you start to notice your self-talk that you're, you're feeling. You're not only feeling stressed out about the situation, this little interaction you had with your spouse, but you're feeling worse because you're calling yourself stupid or you're judging yourself for failing or why didn't you see that? Or why did you say that? Mm. Or why didn't you take care of that? Right, and you start to notice these judgments. You start to notice that they make that they add to your bad feelings. And so the first part of non-judgment is just seeing that it's there. Like that is what I do. That is what my mind does. And then looking at it with compassion, being a friend to yourself. How would you respond if you could be privy? To the inner world of someone you love very much and see them beating themselves up and judging themselves, what would be your response? I know what my response to any, like my nieces would be. I would say, Sweetheart, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's okay. Like, let it be. And what you'll find, and we'll go through this more as we go through mindfulness, as you can be aware of things, not hide things from yourself, and allow them to be, which is non judgment you're much better at letting them go. Because you see, our feelings rise and fall. They come and go. They will go on their own. We hold on to them with our judgments. And it's sort of like the fly that gets caught in the spider's web. And the more it thrashes about to get out, the worse it, it gets. It's the same way with our negative feelings. We start judging them and then not wanting them and having to do something with them. The natural process of the mind and the emotions is to have them go. They naturally will go their own way if you don't hold on to them, if you don't make something out of them. There's nothing you have to do except realize, be be aware of yourself, allow it to be, be friendly, compassionate with yourself, and let it go. What comes to mind is what is, is. Yes.
4: What is, is.
0: Yes. And so in that allowing it's not confirming or affirming or validating it's just seeing that this is what my mind does. And and we're not, you know, you're not unique in that. It's it's really what human minds tend to do. We tend to beat up on ourselves a lot. We tend to judge ourselves a lot, and that judgment adds to our difficult feelings and then that distorts the situation and makes it more difficult for us to make good decisions. Okay. And the more we have that relationship with ourselves, the more we judge ourselves, the more we tend to judge others.
2: It seems to me too that there are no real answers to this because I think every patient is much different. Yes. I think every one of us as caregivers are much different. I think our relationships are different and I think it's just arriving at what we feel is a reasonable relationship as we go forward Absolutely. into the future, and that, uh, and it may be very different in different cases. That, uh, you
0: know. I completely agree with you, and it's really about, um, you know, in my work with with families, um, I don't like when we're trying to come upon decisions or making decisions or what's the best thing to do here. It's really I try to help them just clarify their values yeah. because it's it's going to be different for everybody. There are no. Um, Definite answers right. to anything in Alzheimer's, and every relationship is so unique yeah. that it really is about that family and that individual making the best choice that they can in that situation. So it's so the the where mindfulness would come in is is becoming clear, so that you can make your best choice and not be making choices based on fear or anger yeah. or anxiety. That you can become clear. About what is actually happening, and what you actually value, and what will be the best—the the best decision. Right, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And your spouse.
0: Yeah. So, what I'm asking you to to consider today, and to work on starting today, is is starting to realize your relationship to yourself in that way, and then and then noticing in your life as you go forward that that will naturally extend into your relationship with your loved one that as you become more compassionate and non judgmental and allowing and letting go with yourself, you'll you'll find that you, you're able to do that for others easier. And that will be natural. It'll be subtle. It'll be very subtle. But it, it's a natural thing. There's um, I find that the you know the life force, the the mind and the emotions have their own processes, natural processes and They're going in a good direction. And we often get get in there and intervene and think we have to do things. And we make more problems out of trying to interfere and trying to make things happen. You don't have to make yourself feel happy or positive if you're feeling sad. If you just allow your sadness and just honor it for what it is, you'll be surprised at how easily it moves on.
4: It's interesting, um, most generally, Personally, I've always been non-judgmental, non- <clears throat> excuse me, non-judgmental. Uh-huh. and also uh, very compassionate because that's my business.
0: Yes. Good.
4: So you have that and then you got to turn your mind off to the other compartment. So I'm almost having to compartmentalize what is going on.
0: And when you say you have to turn your mind off to the other compartment, what do you mean by the other compartment? What's in there?
4: Well, I naturally do. I'm naturally non-judgmental and mm-hmm. naturally compassionate. Otherwise, everybody that comes into my home, <laughs> right? Uh, you you know. would be a good,
0: you wouldn't be a uh, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> I. right? That's what I do. Oh, right. That's but my what's job. what's the other compartment?
4: And the other part is I have been judgmental because I get angry yes. that I got to take care of this situation. Yes. Like, you know, where is kids? Where is, you know? Where's his family? Mm-hmm. You know, I came 300 yards later. Mm-hmm. So yeah. instead, I guess the way I'm hearing this is that just realizing that it's mm-hmm. this is what it
0: is. Yes, and so but it's hard. Th- it's very, h- very it very is hard. hard. So hard for me, me because I switch gears. Mm-hmm. So let me use your thank you, yeah. and you're so reflective. Let me use that as as mm-hmm. an example, if I may. So um, so you have this other part of you that that has a anger and angry judgment about how things are, um, particularly with your family members and and this thing. And that that makes sense. So mindfulness would um, so let me start with mindfulness is not to apply mindfulness, what we're talking about today, to that that anger and to say look at it non-judgmentally doesn't mean you suddenly love what everybody's doing. <laughs> that's not sorry. what I, I'm talking I about. I so I'm not, I'm not talking about like gutting Forget yourself it. out. Right. So that's not the goal. The goal is to see it for what it is and accept it and allow it so that you can make a clear decision without judgment based on what you need to tell them and the boundaries you need to set and what you need to do for yourself. Do you know what I mean? So that you can just speak clearly and from your values uh, about what you need to take care of yourself in the situation and how you need to relate to them. So relating to, say, his children from, with angry judgment of them, you've probably noticed, is ineffective. It's not gonna get you the results you want. And having that angry judgment is also not good for you either so mindfulness isn't about um, dismantling righteous anger it's 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 about becoming letting go of the judgment saying okay this is why this is why I'm angry because I need more help so how do I ask or if you don't want to I need to draw my boundaries yeah does that make sense to you? It's
4: more about um, my anger is not about them not doing something, because that, that isn't going to work. Because he doesn't have a very good relationship with them. My anger is more about, why me? Mm. Hmm.
2: Why,
4: why do I have to go? I'm sure everybody feels that way, maybe, mm-hmm. because they've got these great spouses and so forth, but you know, I I, I get it. I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah,
4: yeah. I get what you're saying it's very difficult
0: yeah yeah for me it
4: is because you know i raised six kids on my own (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) always taking care of everybody and then all of a sudden um you know not really wanted to do anything that would be fun because i'm too tired to to do this so to be mindful that to to care about myself
0: yeah so i would say with your response of why me and that is a very common that, that's, you know, you don't have to be living with Alzheimer's. That sounds healing. selfish, though. Judgment. Isn't okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Okay, that's, that's So not, what I that's would ask you to bring then to that anger of why me is compassion. Compassion. You deserve compassion. For yourself. Who deserves this?
2: But you could also say, why not me?
0: Why not me? But before you can get there, I would just first just have compassion. So not to indulge in the self-pity, but to have compassion for the fact that this is hard, this hurts, this is suffering. I get it. You're disappointed. Why wouldn't you be disappointed? Someone you love has a terrible disease. It sucks. (laughs) It does. I'd rather be sitting And you you should. You are. (laughs) This (laughs) is not easy. (laughs) So to have compassion for that, not to pity yourself as a victim. But, but to have, there's, there's righteous anger and compassion in that. Damn it, you, had it, you were looking forward to a different life. Yeah. There's righteous anger in that. But the judgment is you're selfish. That's a judgment that I would ask you to just take aside and look at. Like, oh, that's a judgment. And that judgment is adding to your negative feelings. Okay. That judgment, you can allow it to be, but allow it to be and allow it to go.
2: One of the things I tell myself sometimes is that the pathway that we face as we get older and uh, very old is that this is the most difficult pathway we've had in life. Mm -hmm. And we've had very good ones along the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. I I think this is, well, I'm probably biased because I, I work in the field, but I think this is the disease of our age for us to really, so the disease matter. of our age yes, I think it yes, marks our age in history yeah. and then um, our society our culture globally we have an aging you know population globally the whole it, and it brings up so much and particularly the the whole idea of what is a meaningful and quality life and living longer is it enough to just live longer what is what is a good life and it's bringing up so many important existential questions for all of us um, Okay. So, we're going to go through um, three different applications of mindfulness, and in just a moment, we're going to actually start to practice it, and we'll just do like a minute at a time. Um, So, the first application and the basic core application of mindfulness is just cultivating being present with that non-judgmental compassion, just being present and allowing, just observing what just what is, is, and starting to observe your mind. Where, where does my mind come in and say you're selfish, or that shouldn't be, or make all of these judgments? The second application of mindfulness that we're going to use today is then starting to observe the natural rise and fall of our emotions. And we're going to do that more through sensual data. I actually have some food. <laughs> For us, But it's, it, this is about um, not only just being present, but it's then being present to the context <coughs> of your mind. So the first one that we'll practice is just being present to your breath. It's just becoming present. And it's a very simple but profound activity because you quickly realize how often we're not present. How often we're just not really present here to other people and to ourselves and to life, just being present. The second one on the natural rise and fall of emotions is about then becoming present to what's actually the content of your mind. What are you actually thinking and feeling? And that, if you practice that for a little while, you'll be surprised at how much you don't know about what you're actually thinking and feeling. and How much is judgment and how much is allowing and how much is holding on and all of this. And then the last one that we'll practice is to intentionally focus your mind on positive things. So mindfulness can be used to just become present and that alone can make a a profound difference in a person's life. It can be used to start to observe and manage the content of your mind and and in this case today we're really thinking about negative feelings is what we're going to be trying to deal with. Um, And then it can be used to intentionally focus. So the first two are about just noticing and becoming aware and and allowing and allowing to let go. So just starting to notice what comes in and out of your mind and how it comes in and out of your mind. The last one is bringing actual intention that you're going to actually intentionally focus on something positive to generate the feelings that you want. So what we notice in mindfulness is that um, if you observe your mind, It doesn't have to be for a long period of time. You start to very quickly make connections between what you're feeling and what you're thinking, and what you're thinking and what feelings that produces. And how much of your experience in your daily life is determined more by that internal process of the link between feelings and thoughts than what's actually happening out there. And I don't mean to diminish or dismiss the difficult things that are actually happening out there. I just want to bring attention to the power that you have over selecting your response to what's happening out there. And in order to do that, you need to first become aware of the link between what you think habitually without thinking about it, it just happens, and what kind of feelings that produces in you. So, if I may use you again, for example, because you've been so forthright about yourself, um, starting to notice what the judgment of yourself is, how that makes you feel, and then how that makes you act. You start to link all of these things up, and you realize that that whole inner world, that's what we call the mind, is really pulling the strings. <laughs> It, it's, it's really determining so much of our quality of life and our inner experience, and then how we relate to things. You know, how, how we take, So have you heard, You know, there's a very popular adage um, these days, I tend to hear it everywhere, but maybe it's just the field that I'm in, um, that it's not about really what happens that makes the difference, but how you respond to what happens that makes the difference. That's what I'm talking about. And mindfulness is that practice of becoming very aware of how habitual your mind is and how it's causing you to feel in in automatic ways. And so you can choose and this may have been more automatic um, for you John, but you can start to choose responding with love. And if you can't be in love in that moment you start to learn to intentionally focus your attention on something that, that brings about positive feelings and then acting on that when you can. So you start to become more responsible and empowered in how your thoughts and emotions are being generated. And that doesn't mean that you should always, you should feel as though you're always in control of your emotions or your thoughts, because we're not and we never will be. (laughs) But you can have more control or say over them and you can have more detachment from them when they're happening and, and it's negative and there's nothing you can do. You can just sit with yourself and say, okay, I know, I'll just let this be and I know that it will go. And when it goes, that's when I'll start to reflect on the problem and decide what I need to do. But I'm not going to do it from here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it from this depression, or this anger, or this stress. That's not where I'm going to make a decision from. That's not how I'm going to interpret this situation. And fear. And fear. Yeah. 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 So um, in psychology, you know, it's something that uh, we notice with depression particularly, um, but other states of mind too, is that there's a tendency when we get caught up in negative or uncomfortable feelings to interpret our entire lives from that filter. Do you know what I mean? And, and those, that's when you apply mindfulness and you start practicing mindfulness and you see the link between your thoughts and your feelings, or your feelings that then generate certain thoughts you start to realize that, okay, where do I want to make my decisions from? So I know that I get depressed sometimes. Um, I've, I've personally struggled with anxiety in my life. And it was years before I realized that making decisions from anxiety tended to create more anxiety. And when I learned to manage my anxiety, which doesn't mean I don't feel it, I do, but I just let it go. Then I make decisions when I'm not feeling anxious and I make much better decisions. things I see things more clearly so mindfulness is that's really what it's about when you practice it it's it's really coming into an honest relationship with yourself and and deciding what your what your best places to to make decisions and interpretations are from does that make sense it takes a lot of practice yeah not as much as, as you may think like so you don't have to sit down and meditate for an hour Each day. In fact, I don't. Well, I've done some meditation retreats, but I I don't. I do more what's what's considered waking or walking meditations, where I try to become mindful as I'm in my life, as I'm engaged. I I think more.
4: What I'm saying is, I've always been present. I've always done all of these, focusing on the positive. I've Mm -hmm. always been a positive person. Mm -hmm. But in this situation. I'm sort of losing all of that side of me.
2: Yeah.
4: And it's foreign. Yeah. Because I'm not only not positive, I'm thinking about selling my business, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about all this other stuff. Never have done that before.
0: Right.
4: So it's, you know, it was natural for
0: me to be mindful, Mm -hmm. and now it's
4: not. So
0: this is a whole new part of you. It's a whole to be mindful about. Yeah, and to, and to learn to relate to. Yeah, that this this disease process has brought that up in yes. you. Yes, and and that's common in um, significant and trying situations in life, and Alzheimer's is certainly one that it will bring forward in us parts of us that we haven't really had to deal with yet because the experience is so outside of our range of normal. You just nailed it. Yeah. And
1: so there's just new parts of you. It's just so new. Yeah. Dudley is hard of hearing Mm -hmm. and has had hearing (coughs) aids, but he's got a kind of hearing loss that it's just in a particular range so hearing aids don't do much good. And they are very expensive and he's lost them. So having more hearing aids doesn't seem to Mm. matter. But he will ask me the same question. No, he won't I will have to repeat myself, it used to be two times, and now it's three times. And he's not present when he's asking me the question and I'm answering him. Right. Or I will just say something to him. Like in a normal, our life is so almost normal, mm-hmm. I will just say something as you would say something. You know, that birch tree is absolutely exquisite. What? I didn't quite hear you, dear. I said that birch tree is Absolutely exquisite. I I didn't quite hear you, and then I—I did this this week. It's all I can think of all the time you're talking. I'm so mad at myself. I just screamed at him. Mm. Mm. The—I just blew—it blew my mind. And then, of course, I felt terrible, but I was still very angry. But did he hear you then? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he did hear me then. But then, you know. He's driving the car, he's angry because I got angry with him. Mm-hmm. And then we're driving along, and after a while, the blessing is he's forgotten he's angry. Yeah. There are blessings. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have calmed down. But it's the hearing thing, and the you know. thing, he may ask me something, or we may, but he doesn't, he isn't there when. I say something. I said, it's almost as if I have to say to you, Dudley, I'm making an appointment to say something to you. That birch tree is exquisite. Mm-hmm. Will you listen?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: That's when he went out and bought that
0: toothbrush. And it yeah. dri- no, no, I was on the list. No, that I'm not It drives me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so he probably has a combination of the, the hearing loss, which is difficult, and then the, the short-term memory recall from from Alzheimer's. He's probably starting to experience deficits in the short-term memory as well. Oh, we, oh, yeah. He has no short-term memory. Okay. So, so it's exacerbated by the hearing. Yeah, I don't know how to, you know, if he's if he's can't if the hearing aid isn't working, that's a hard one.
1: Well, there, there's just no point in going yeah. back to if, that. If
0: he's going to keep losing them, right? There's
4: right? no point in to them. I try to make humorous remarks. you know. When things like this happen with him, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll say, I didn't. I, what did you say? I said you won the lottery. <laughs> 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 and then I and, and and I find there are there is a lot of humor, yeah. and I, of course I've always looked at things humorously. Yeah, and yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was so funny because he was watching. He's a military guy, so he and. He um, loves uh, NCIS, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so he watches NCIS, and I said, oh, I thought we saw that. Isn't that a repeat? He said, no, I haven't seen it before. (laughs) I said, you know, the good news about your memory, (laughs) the loss of memory, I said, you "You can watch the same thing every single day, and you'll never remember what it was, and and he'll laugh about that. (laughs) That's good. Because I try to bring...
3: That's humor good. into it yeah.
4: um, and and I think that's how he becomes less fearful yeah uh, because there's a lot of joking about it
0: Lovely. yeah
4: it's another dimension if you will yes yeah,
0: it, is. it
4: is and when I do that it's easier
0: yes so keep doing that
4: <laughs> I like that. Wow, there's only so much humor you can yeah,
0: know. On. <laughs> So let's let's do let's do a moment of um, of mindfulness. This is um, I will do all the timing and all that, so there's nothing to be concerned about. So this is called you always have your breath. This is the basic primary activity of mindfulness. Um, you can do this anytime, anywhere. You don't need to be in a, a group like this. You don't need to be at a meditation retreat. You don't even need to have it be quiet. I mean, I, if I'm upset about something or, or whatever, if I have strong emotions about anything, even if I'm driving, I will start to, I can You always come to focus on your breath. So your breath is, um, you know, it's your oasis. It, it, it brings you back into your core, your center, literally physiologically it does and mentally and emotionally too. Um, So I'm going to ask you to just sit in a very comfortable way, any way that's comfortable for you (laughs) in your seat, and uh, to close your eyes. And breathe in really deeply, and hold it at the top, and then let it all go. And do that a couple more times. We full breath, pause, and then release. One more time. So now I'm going to time us um, for just one minute, and your task is to simply focus on your breath. And if you notice that your mind wanders, when you notice that, Just let it go and come back to your breath. It's been one minute. Open your eyes. How was that? Really.
1: Always good. Really? Good.
0: How was your sense of time? Did that feel like a minute? It wasn't yeah. more. Yeah. I'm always interested, and it doesn't always happen, but I, I always find it interesting that um, not only when we come present to breath, but as you just learn to become present. You know that whole idea of flow? In, um, that time seems to expand or just slow down or or stand still. There's like a timelessness in it when you just become very present. So that's the basic practice. And um, I would encourage you in your life to do it for a minute at a time. I mean it, and I mean that. (laughs) I might fall asleep. (laughs) I saw you yawning.
2: What do you expect to come out of this? Huh? What do you expect to come out of this from each of us? By holding your breath for a minute. like... Uh, or just
0: focusing on your focusing breath for a, yeah, for a minute. Well, in that actual exercise, I just wanted you to have the experience of it and and actually how simple it
2: is. But it should bring something out. In you, yes, right? so you the know?
0: practice of mindfulness, if you if all you did was just practice focusing on your breath, um, it brings a sense of calmness and centeredness and clarity. Yeah. and you and it's subtle but it happens, it starts to transform how present you are with others and just things things happening in life and it can even start to transform how well you make decisions because it can bring a real clarity what happens when we become present is that all of the all of the ways that our mind is usually caught up in the future or the past is just suspended, it just goes away for a moment and you're just completely clear and from there life can become very rich when you're not distracted in habitual ways so life can become richer but also your decisions your, your interpretations of things can become much more clear so that's what I would I would expect and hope for you if you continue to just practice focusing on your breath and that practice can be a minute at a time but you don't even have to you know it can be a minute when you're in a parking lot waiting for something or in the bathroom stall <laughs> or it, it can, or just sitting quietly in your living room. But it can really be at any time if you just become aware of, you know, you could be talking in a conversation or driving down the road or washing the dishes and just remember, oh, yeah, you know, Keston said to focus on your breath and you could just do it for a moment. Mm-hmm. And your mind starts to become, that starts to become habitual after a while and you'll start to notice that your mind will become just snapped to being very present without you trying yeah. every once in a while because it's being trained.
2: Well, the reason I ask the question yeah. is because it's my experience just now was that uh, I should uh, each day plan uh, kind of an agenda and do something that uh, It's a positive contribution to Nina's life and a positive contribution to mine at the same time. I like
0: that. So you're a little bit ahead, which is great. You guys are anticipating everything I'm going to say. That's a part of the the focusing on, intentionally focusing on positive emotions is um, writing down a list of things that make you feel positive and then intentionally starting to schedule them into your life. And it can be tiny, tiny things. It doesn't have to be... Anything big that stresses you out, like, oh, now I've got to generate positive emotions. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So that's the basic practice, and I I encourage you to just bring it into just a part of your life and living as a human being. You can also separate it out and do a moment or two moments or whatever of mindfulness in the morning or in the afternoon. or, or. or whenever, that's good too. But also just bring it into, it's called walking meditation actually. There's a whole branch of meditation that they meditate as they walk. So it's, it's about, you can do mindfulness just as a practice of your life because your mind is always active and you're always there and you can just start to train yourself that way. So the second way, um, so I said there were three applications. There's just focusing on your breath and becoming present And then there's focusing on the content of your mind and becoming very present to that. And we're going to do that. We're going to do a moment of that. And we're going to do that with like these little candies or I have nuts or whatever you want. Um, And you're just going to focus on the taste and how the texture and how it is in your mouth and all of that. But I want you to think of this as a metaphor or, or an example of how you might focus on your feelings you know, or any, so particularly negative feelings, but it can also be positive. So if you're under a lot of stress one day or you're having, struggling with a difficult feeling or hopelessness or fear or anger or whatever it is, you could start to just bring that inner awareness and focus on it like you are today on these candies or whatever, just like, what is this all about? What am I feeling? Because often when we really become present to our feelings, what we think we're feeling is just the surface. You know, so um, I can tell you that it's, it's very common that if you really allow and meditate on your anger, that there's often some sort of sadness underneath it, do you know what I mean? So feelings are complex, <laughs> there's uh, many layers to them, so. Um, so let me pass these around, um, these are lemon and cherry, okay, so you can take one of those or I have some other, I have great stuff, so. I'm very excited good. about it. Yes, I, I was very excited about. Have you guys seen these? Um, I'm not much of a chocolate person, but like raspberry and mint M&Ms. Ooh. No. Have oh. you raspberry seen raspberry m oh. So it has the chocolate. It's raspberry and dark chocolate and mint and dark chocolate. Yeah, nice. I thought these are. I've not seen these. <laughs> and raspberry and chocolate is one of yeah. my yeah. favorite. Isn't that, she's seen that? Yeah, I love raspberry. Actually. I love mint too. <laughs> I do too, and, and I, I, I love dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so had some of these before I had them all. Okay. So you can try some of those <laughs> <Next> to mix the flavors. And I got pretzels. I don't know if anyone's interested in that. I'm gonna try to just to in case someone's not interested in the oh. in the chocolate. Here's the raspberry. The, uh, yeah. yeah. Here's the red. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, everybody's
0: stocking. I know, I know, I've never seen these before, I was so excited. Um, I was at the co-op. Yeah, so, good stuff. So what we're going to do on this, and if you've already started, no judgment. um, What we're going to do on this is take, Whatever your item is and um, if you've already started that's fine, just take another one too and um, first you just want to get the visual and tactile feel of it. So this is the full sensory one of the, what's the content of this, the content of this experience and this is very simple but you just want to observe how it looks and how it feels before you eat it. Maybe even smell, something that they probably don't smell, mine does Mine does not. And then, put it in your mouth, close your eyes, and just become aware of the whole experience. Just be It's just really becoming present to it, how it tastes, the amount of saliva in your mouth, where you tend to put it in your mouth, the texture of it. So that's been roughly a minute. <clears throat> I lost track of time a little bit. So that's the, it's called the sensual data activity, but it's It's really about the content of what's in your body, in your mind, in your activity, what you're doing. What did you notice? I keep rolling it around. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I love about these candies, these tins, is that they're nostalgic for me because my mother used to put these in our stockings when we were kids and I just love these tins. I love everything about them. But I noticed that when I have sweet things, I put them at the front of my tongue. I was just noticing that today. I put them in my cheek. You put them in your cheek.
1: I noticed the great rush of saliva mm. that mm-hmm. came into my mouth when I actually bit into them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> Which one did you have? Did you have the, the raspberry, raspberry ones? The I love dark chocolate
0: and raspberry. Well, do you
1: know, I, at night, I, I don't really like sweet things. I like to leave a savory taste in my mouth rather than a sweet. Mm-hmm. But about an hour after dinner, I love to have a piece of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a little more than square. But I mean, this is like the these be-all are the end-all. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. These are perfect. Ooh. Yeah, I, know. I love I, it with I the dark
1: chocolate. M&M is going to double where I think we should all invest in MM because it's <laughs> been that
3: good.
0: Uh huh. That's great. Anything else? Anything? Okay.
3: Well, you can, make the, you can make it last longer. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> it kept my mind off of
1: everything else. Right? right. Yeah. It was just like a zone. It was a great sense. Of, and this one is, too, of treating myself to something
0: <coughs> so satisfying. Mm-hmm. So nice. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, give me that bag. <laughs> <laughs> right I don't know right if you've from. heard of <laughs> macrobiotic <laughs> diets? Yes. That's true. So there's a whole part of macrobiotics um, where you eat mindfully and they get very structured where you're supposed to take 40 chews. Before you swallow and take a small you know and and you put everything down and you <laughs> right like that and you you really chew and you become very mindful and then you swallow and then you very you know very slowly take your next bite <clears throat> so it can be a, a whole big thing, but the reason for that um, is that you know that that diet that philosophy is about. Um, If you're mindful as you eat, your body, it's more nourishing for your body. Mm. Um, And
1: I just took one while you were talking mm -hmm. and because I wasn't focusing totally on my mouth, but on what you said, it wasn't as totally satisfied. Right. Mm.
0: Right. So how often are we doing things like eating and watching TV or Listening to someone talking but thinking about something else. so that's the the habitual aspect of the mind that's caught up in other conversations, and that's habitual. But it, we've just it's sort of become trained that way by default, but you can retrain. so mindfulness is a is a very subtle gentle retraining of your mind to just become present. So the idea here with the with becoming aware of the content of what you were eating and the content of your mind. Um, through what you were eating by applying that to the rest of your life is when you had asked me what you know what should we be getting out of this one is just the richness of life when you're only focused on what's at hand and eventually realizing that that also applies is also true for negative things too that doesn't mean that you're going to start oh, I can't wait for the next negative thing to happen <laughs> you're not going to start to love the negative but it takes on a richness and it takes some of the the power of dominance that it has sometimes over us, you know, that like, oh here comes the depression again or oh I'm getting angry again feeling the stress again or you're anticipating something and you, you have anticipatory stress or whatever it is, um, you realize I can handle that because I, I have this experience now with mindfulness that I can let it come in. That can be present to it, be compassionate, and let it go. You know what I mean? But even that, so the the eventual goal is to let it go as easily as it comes. But within that is also, there's a richness, there's a richness to our experiences, and they have things to tell us, things that are true about us, about our relationships, about life, even the negative feelings. So if I may again go back to that, you know. There's righteous anger that tells you something about yourself and what you value, and that's important that the anger comes up around. Or sadness. There's, you know, why shouldn't we be disappointed and why shouldn't we be sad when things happen to us that impact our values or people we love? And so there's there's also a richness to those negative feelings as well. Um when we can just really be with them that they have they they're <coughs> happening to us because something important is happening to us, typically. Okay. I mean, it might be a passing <coughs> stress, but in this case as an aside to that, and thank
4: you for this because uh, it's called mind mucking. Mm. you know you're thinking and you know I mean a perfect example <coughs> of that, what came to my mind is not only dealing with what I must deal with, but um, one of the one of the crippling negative thoughts uh, outside of what I'm dealing with with my husband, uh, I'm catering a wedding for thirty five people. I've done it before, but I keep thinking, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God!" Oh my God. And I'm getting short of breath about it because mm-hmm. I'm hoping that I'm going to be okay and I'm going to do a good job and all of this kind of thing. And so being mindful a little bit
0: mm-hmm.
4: will open a new path for me mm-hmm. to start organizing. Yeah.
0: Well, f- yes, it'll first diffuse it a little it'll bit or defang it. it a
4: little bit. It'll open yeah. the idea of a, the more
0: positive. And that you can manage it. You'll realize I can manage this if I just focus I on it. <laughs> you know, if I focus <laughs> yes. on it and defang it a little bit with all of the fears right. and but stuff I, that I'm having. I managing. guess what I'm
4: saying is happens with most everything we do when yes. we start getting fearful. Yeah, we start mind mucking.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And if we're mindful, yes, just say, okay, this is going to happen, but let's just close my eyes for a few minutes and breathe. and Need a
1: candy? Yes. And also, I think I find that I become less anxious when I rethink something and cut out part of an activity. I don't really have to do that part. Mm -hmm. And I don't really have to do that part. So I'm only going, so that's taking part of this. I mean, today I was, I'm having just a little birthday party for. A neighbor mm-hmm. tonight, and this—but this was the most important thing that was happening in my day. It's just something. This anxiety, the whole thing with Dudley's Alzheimer's, is more affecting me than it is him mm-hmm. because of my anxiety.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm learning mm-hmm. to cut stuff out, cut nice. stuff out. I mean, family coming for the weekend. What can I bring? Oh no, I'll take care of everything. And then I called up and I said, you know what, Lindsay? it would be great if you brought that like, for lasagna you. that you said you know you offered to bring yeah and just simplifying and cutting out and <clears throat> not doing as much stuff in our lives just okay. making our lives much not being as social as we have been and having only two people for dinner rather than six you mean to deal with your situation with deal with the anxiety. In other words, okay, it's just it's dealing with the whole thing it's is too much. With my anxiety. That's why I'm here.
0: Yeah, because yes. making me yeah a yeah. And so one of your coping techniques, if I, if I hear you and it's a good one, is to to whittle things down, to break things up into smaller tasks. So if you like to have dinner parties or have people over, and that's important that you stay connected. But if having people over is causing anxiety, it's a, you know it's a negative return. <laughs> so if six people make you anxious, if two don't, yes, then then you're chunking it down, um, and that's that's a very good coping technique. Well, I I
1: learned about three years ago
0: mm-hmm. that I had to have
1: things that I had in the freezer. I couldn't do a whole main dish one day and. And have the party too. Yeah.
2: Good.
1: So I had to, you know, pre, pre-preparation for things.
2: And so you're sort of saying you make goals uh, proportional to your ability to reach those goals. Yes, reduce them. Yes. You yes, without anxiety. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and a whole part of the mindfulness in being present is that you start to become present how things are changing for you. Right. And instead of judging that, they shouldn't be. You should do for six. They, you've always never had them bring anything. You can't have them bring something now. Instead of m- becoming present, saying, well, you know what? What would make me feel best is to have people come over, but only two. Yeah. What would make me feel best is not to have to cook everything for everyone, to ha- start to have people bring some things, which I haven't done in years before. But these things are changing for me. And I'm going to allow it to be what is is, and I'm going to make my best decision on on how how do I feel best? How do they feel best? How does my loved one feel best? So you're naturally doing that, Sandy.
3: I was uh, just thinking of your things. I've,
0: mm-hmm.
3: I've never been into Eastern uh, religious type of things, but I they do do uh, silently or harm or. Chance or something like that that mm-hmm. sort of uh, take everything away from your mind, right? And allows you to focus on. In this case, I I assume it's sort of a religious thing, but, right? Right. Uh, that uh, mm-hmm. it, uh, just clears your mind. That's that's really what you're. Saying. And
0: it brings that focus. And so, yeah. again, you you did it again went into the positive emotion so it brings that focus of mind so yes and actually that's true of all spiritual uh, traditions so in in our christian tradition praying and contemplation is that so monks go into periods of contemplation and and they have periods of praying and that's a focus it's a ritualistic focus of the mind on god on the mysteries on love on on whatever it is so in mindfulness meditation in zen buddhism they do a loving kindness meditation where they just they just focus on sending out thoughts of loving kindness to to people and things in the world that's a form of prayer others chant they have these ritual chants and that focuses the mind on the nature of that chant and so um, that's the third application of mindfulness is to intentionally focus your mind on those Things. It can be thoughts, it can be activities, it can be people, it, it, it can be anything that generates positive feelings for you, that, that brings positive feelings and thoughts into your mind. Um, and then you'll find that these will naturally extend out you know, to your loved ones. So what we're specifically talking about here today is, is you know, learning to generate positive feelings for the person you love and starting to figure out what what brings them positive feelings and starting to bring that in, even if it's in very small ways. Because positive feelings in our in our experience will build up, they'll aggregate. OK, so you can so learn to let go of the negative, not respond so much to the negative, and start to bring in the positive for yourself. And then you can start to naturally bring it in for someone else, too. So what I would like to do is just first um, if you, if you have a piece of paper from maybe the back side of the, of the printout, do you have pens? Because uh, I have some back here. Sorry. Does everybody have a pen? And just take, uh, just, we'll just take a minute or two and just write down, um, just think about, and if you want to talk it out with people, that's fine too, um, just write down a list of what makes you feel good. And this can be really tiny things or really big things like finally taking that cruise but it can be you know just working in my garden taking a walk my dog whatever it is so very simple and and more complicated so that's fine Mm-hmm. So if we could maybe bring that to a close. Hopefully everyone has a few or more things down. Does anyone want to share? I saw you. You're impressed.
3: This goes
4: on. <laughs> I like a kid in the candy store.
3: Do
4: you I want to I share a couple with us? Sure. So we'll have have I like cooking. I enjoy when I'm feeling a little depressed and stuff or angry Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. I lose myself into being creative cooking. Nice. And serving. I always tell my guests that Mm -hmm. it's the best job ever because they have to pay me and they can't get away and they have to eat the food. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) um, I love to play tennis. I haven't played in a long time. Uh, Believe it or not, I like cleaning and organizing. Mm -hmm. I do too, and I so I really love uh,
0: it. Yeah, I'm glad you have that down there because even if it's a task, even if, if it's something that you like, I feel better mentally and emotionally when things are organized. Organized, I just it I makes have, me feel good. So yeah. if that's if that's one for you, that's one. Do Organizing
4: you know is important. Yeah, um, I love being with my kids because they're fun. hmm um, I love talking to little kids; they're so honest.
0: Yeah. And they get
4: so excited. Yeah. When you're interested in what yep. they've got to say.
0: Yeah.
4: I like to pray. Mm-hmm. I, um I love helping
0: others. And that's a good range of activities. Some are more involved, but some like mm-hmm. praying or just talking to people. Um, John, I John like did you being have one? alone? Yeah.
4: You know, I like just making lists and organizing my thoughts.
0: hmm Did you have one, John? You had yeah. uh,
3: stuff. Yeah, I I
2: enjoy uh, limited activities Diane and I can have. Mm -hmm. I enjoy meeting with friends uh, who have like values to discuss, uh, (laughs) sometimes controversial issues, and uh, see what we can do about improving the world. That's nice. (laughs) Um, And uh, you mentioned the meeting with children. We have a child care center at Kendall. You do? And uh, Yes. Oh, how fabulous. uh,
4: Oh, I, I want to go there. They have
2: groups of, uh, well, up to one year, one to three, three to five years. Mm-hmm. And it, it's such a positive thing. And they will bring those little kids in and have activities going on with the older people.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. Yes, I did know they had that, that there. Yeah, oh, I it's, love
2: it. It's, uh, the woman who directs that there, Sharon Dombrowski-Miller, just has an educational input into all <coughs> of those things. Now, for example, we took a... Trip over to a uh, uh, little lake there, uh, not Occam Pond, it's Pond,
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in the spring, and they brought a bus full of older people over, and then they put these chairs out along the lake, and uh, people could sit there, and the bus ran back and got a bus full of little kids, and the little kids came out, and uh, of course they descended on the lake with these tubes mm. and things, but they also had little pails and nets, and Don got polymogs. And then put them in the pail came up and showed them to everyone. Everyone was very excited.
4: It's fun. And then
2: uh, they have things on the inside, too, and, uh, you know, tracing over leaves and things. And uh, One day, the little kids came in, and uh, as they go around, they say, well, uh, Nina or John, what what do you want? And this little girl was uh, four years old, I think, had all the cranes, and she had nothing more than Going around and uh, hearing the people's names, and she said, "Okay, here, Niner, you want a green crane?" And she threw it over. Oh. <laughs> and she said, "John, how about a red one?" She threw it over. <laughs> and it, the, the relationship is so amazing. Yeah. So amazing. That is Everybody's, really
4: great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: I think
2: that's a very uh, constructive type thing. Uh, I do too. For uh, almost all people, yeah. seem to all enjoy it. Yeah. 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 Anyone else want to share? Chocolate.
1: Well, we know that. Yeah. yeah. Right? (laughs) (coughs) Garden reading, lying down to rest. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that is, you know, I I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and get up and start Mm -hmm. my day. And by one o'clock after lunch, just getting in the chaise lounge and with a book, Mm -hmm. just putting the whole bod down. Yeah. Wow.
2: Nice.
1: That is really wonderful. Really good food. Being warm, being warm. That's a big one. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. That's
0: true. So what I'd like to do for then um, the last uh, the last application, the last mindfulness moment, is to just think for a moment now and um, intentionally choose something to focus on for about a minute. Whether it's a memory. Or something that you're looking forward to, or a visualization, imagining an interaction with someone, or it could be a sunset, it could be working in your garden, whatever it is that this would bring a happy thought for you. So think about that for a second, something that you'd like to focus on. And then we're going to get get uh, sit comfortably again in your in your chair, close your eyes, and again. Do about three breaths. Breathe in really deeply and pause and then just let it all go. And do that a couple more times. And now just call into your mind whatever it is that you want to focus on that that brings positive emotions for you and just bring that in and just get as involved in that image or that scene as you can. Make it as real for yourself as you can. it's been about a minute. Open your eyes and come back. So those are um, the three applications of mindfulness. So I, I just want to say that you know we have here um, different self-supportive activities and um, some you probably know about, um, but I would encourage you, you have the, this list and you, you have the program printed out so you have that for you. I just want to make a note here as we close that when we're thinking about you know Alzheimer's disease and, and the reality of Alzheimer's disease in, in someone that you love and we were talking about it at the beginning of the session that um, you know that you're experiencing a, a significant death before the physical death and, and everybody's in different stages. Um, but even people in earlier stages know that it's coming and you start to experience it ambiguously, but a little at a time and I, one of the, um, for me, one of the gifts that mindfulness can bring for you is um, being able to connect to the fact that the self that remains in someone with Alzheimer's is only and always in the present moment. Connecting with that person is possible through the very, through the very ends of the disease, but that person is only and always available in the present moment. They're not available in thoughts of the past of who they used to be. I mean, those thoughts may or may not bring you pleasure, and that's fine. But when you're with them, they're they're profoundly in the moment. They're there, and even if that moment for them is talking about long-term memories, they are there. That's where they're engaged. And so, just learning to be through mindfulness very present to yourself and present to someone else because that's always where you will connect with them. And even later on in the disease, um, you know, being able to connect with them through sensual, through smells, through touch, through emotional resonance, you know, resonating with them emotionally. That self that remains is always in the present moment. And that's a, a gift that mindfulness can bring for you is being able to learn. Uh, To be better and better at not only being present to yourself, but that will naturally extend to being present to someone else and engaging them Emotionally in that moment. So it's just something to to think about. I want to invite all of you to um, a session that we're holding here myself and a colleague for Alzheimer's caregivers um, of all in in all stages. It's on it's in April, it will be out, in our, our new brochure comes out in February or March, so it will be in that. I believe it's the Wednesdays in April in the afternoons, and this is a uh, a series of four sessions, each are two hours, and the first hour we're going to go through um, similar topics as this. We're going to talk about mindfulness, but we're also going to talk about grief and the whole experience of, of grief and loss and, and how that's... Particular in, in a situation with Alzheimer's, we'll apply mindfulness to working with that. We'll also do some other things, and then the second hour will be a support group, and so people can just talk about talk about what we learned or what we discussed or or whatever else is going on. And, and this program um, um, happily for me sort of turned into that naturally, where we had a lot of dialogue about ourselves and our lives and. Then I did a little education, and then we had more dialogue, and so I'm hoping that's how the the program in April goes. So, make sure to stay in touch with us. Um, so that's coming up in April. There are other great things that are coming up. Um, so, it, again, it's it will be free. It, our programs are free, but you would you will need to register because I will um, cap attendance at that. I doubt I'll I'll go over, but I I want it to be intimate, and I want it to have a lot of dialogue. So. Um, I wouldn't want to have, like, too, too big of a group. The phone number to contact you is <coughs> 653-347. Yes, that's directly to my office, which is down the hallway here. Three and just leave one. a message? Yeah, if I'm not there, just leave a message okay. for me.
2: What is that?
0: It's 3471. Do you have my card?
2: Uh, oh, John, okay. I? Yes, I yes was, it's right there. I was looking at the 3460. Oh. No,
0: so 3460 oh, is to the main Aging Resource Center. Okay. And you could always call that and get through to me as sure. well. Okay. Kirsten,
4: what is the uh, helpline? What
0: is that on there? So the helpline, let me go to the next one. The Alzheimer's Association, that's our 24-7 helpline. Um, trained clinician on the other end. You can call that. If you're struggling <laughs> with something, like you don't, you're in a in a moment where you, you don't know what to do, like you're in a difficult situation or whatever, you can call them and they'll talk, they'll brainstorm with you on the phone. They'll say, well, have you tried this? Have you done this? Or you can call and get um, education. You can call and get referred to resources um, in your area on, on, you know, if you're looking for home health care or you're looking for adult day or you're looking for legal and financial advice. You know, they, we have a large database for that. If uh-huh. you need to have a consultation and talk to someone, you know, on the ground, so to speak, such as me, they'll, they'll then contact me. So when people in my area call and they feel that they need a, an in-person consultation, I'll be notified the next day, and then I, I contact the family. So that's a good resource for you.
4: But This particular um, uh, program that I'm interested in is the research group? So earlier, when we talked about the early stage? Yeah,
0: yes, so that's that's I'm running um, as an employee of, of the Dartmouth centers here. But yes, that's a part of a research project that I'm running. Um, The focus groups, I'm running four through the winter. I've already run two. So you and your husband would come to one. Um, There'll be other people, um, such as, you know, same couples as you there. I'll ask a series of questions, and then I'm going to take that data from the focus groups and develop early stage programs designed specifically for people in the early stage, because that that is something that we're lacking here. Mm -hmm. Um, But in designing those programs, um, I thought, you know what happens a lot is we design programs for people with Alzheimer's by going to the professionals and saying, What should we design? And I thought, why don't I just ask them? <laughs> yeah. you know what what will work? So so stay in touch with us because I'll hopefully I'm hoping to to be able to start something this spring, but definitely by the fall we'll we'll have programs going mm-hmm. for for early stage people.
2: Could we go back to that last slide for a minute? Yes, which. This one? Yeah. I'd just like to say the uh, bottom line Yes. uh, To me, the uh, honor-love has been very important and uh, I think very helpful to me. The first part, acknowledging loss, I don't think I had given enough thought to that and that's been kind of helpful to think about that. That's
0: good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And Thank you all for being here. I had a great day. I'm so... We a nice... Little group, very talkative, very freely sharing. Right, that's nice. We I will. hope to see you again. We feel so lucky,
1: yes, to have this period Three. of time, yeah. Dudley mm-hmm. and I do, in yeah. our lives together. Mm-hmm. That is difficult as life gets, yes, and so forth, you know, with the, with the memory loss, that we still have this time together, and because. Our life is slowing down and we're cutting out a lot of things. You do pay more attention to each other because Dudley is still maintaining four miles of trail and
4: yeah.
1: he is he still does the heavy lifting and and all of that and it's he needs me and I need him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And we still have that kind of a relationship and that is
4: precious. It's very precious. I'm so much younger than my husband. Though. It's um. Uh, it's not been like what you're talking about. We come from such a different arena.
0: hmm
4: Um. But I'm there for him.
0: Yes, you oh. are. I'm there for him. Mindful. Mindfully, by the way, too. Thank you you. for being here today. I hope to see you again. I hope to see you and talk to you again and work. I'll give you a call on Okay. Great. Great.